Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good morning, Charged Up Studio listeners, and welcome back to another episode where you get charged up for success. I'm Dan Olivo, your host and CEO of Marketatomy LLC. So today, we are once again going to talk about that dreaded process called sales. So many of us small micro business owners tend to shy away from the selling process. Why? Fear of rejection, possibly. Uh, getting tongue-tied, not being able to, uh, you know, clearly emphasize what it is that we're we're selling. I don't know. Most salespeople are worse at the most important part of selling, which leads to a lot of wasted effort, lost sales, and unnecessary discounting. Mark Boundy focuses on the critical widespread performance gap creating customer-perceived value, value-focused wins more. Let me say that again. Value-focused wins more, better customers at the right prices, and creates winning, rewarding cultures. Keep your methodology, your CRM, and your other tools, but build your system's value acumen and reap the rewards. Mark's book, Radical Value, provides guidance to creating a value-focused culture in your sales force and throughout your company. He speaks, consults, and teaches worldwide and makes his home in Scottsdale, Arizona. He now specializes and focuses on coaching and training senior account executives or SDR, BDRs, who are mandated to reach the same targets he did. Let's please welcome to Charged Up Studio, Mr. Mark Boundy with Boundy Consulting, LLC. Good morning, Mark. Dana, thanks for having me. You too, you too. I'm glad to have you here uh, talking about one of the most sensitive topics that small business owners talk about. Yeah. So let's, let's first talk about how did you get into this and this selling industry and how did you uh, originally start your book? Yeah, my journey into sales was a uh, 15 or 20 year cage match that I lost. Uh, It was on the one side, it was people saying, Mark, you need to be in sales and me saying, I'm not in sales. I don't like sales. I don't want to be in sales. Uh, Sound familiar if you're in a small business, right? Uh, It's I think you you talked a little bit about hesitancy and fear of rejection. Part of it was I thought, you know, I looked down on sales. Sales is, uh, the sales is a dirty word. Salespeople are smarmy people. And I did not want to be that guy. 
Um, but I was lucky enough to uh, have very early in my career, um, I sold without having to call myself a salesperson. And what I did was understand people's business, understand their world and solve problems using my stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I have this saying, don't sell your stuff. Yeah. Solve people's problems right. using your stuff. Yep. And that Solution means selling, right? It's solution selling. It's empathy selling. Um, and, and here's the thing. When somebody asks you, hey, what is it you do? What is your business? 99% of the time, people answer with what they do, with what they sell. I've got news for you. Nobody cares. You yeah. don't care. Your listeners have tuned into this podcast and they don't care what I do. They don't. Right. What they care is if there's something that I can do or some information I can provide that helps them achieve an outcome. Right. Your customers want an outcome. Yep. And we talk to them in, right? Uh, I could easily say I do training and consulting and sales and marketing. Right. You don't yep. care. And what that's doing to the, all of your listeners is making them translate into their head. Yeah. Do I need help with sales and marketing? Am I bad at it? Do I, do I think this person could help me? No, I don't help with sales and marketing. I help you find more of the right customers at the right prices. Right. 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 That is the outcome you're looking for. So step number one in marketing in sales is the people buy your outcomes and your value is how bad they want those outcomes. Right. Talk to them in the language of outcomes. Do not talk to them in the language of what you sell. Right. your features, even your benefits. Talk to them about their outcomes. Sec- yeah. Second lesson is that means you have to understand them and their world and what outcomes they might, might want, which forces you into a position of empathy and understanding and positioning yourself outside of yourself, shoulder to shoulder with them, trying to understand what outcomes they want. And that's now you're... Exactly, yeah. And that's exactly, you, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, with, with me and my selling process, you know, having failed at business twice before, okay, I understand what micro businesses are going through. And a lot of what happens is when I'm speaking to them, I'm speaking in terms of, are you bleeding money? I help stop that money bleed, you know, or, um, do you find yourself suffering from what I call OPA, overwhelm, paralysis, and avoidance? Because they become so overwhelmed wearing many hats. Now, I think that's what you're talking about is we're talking in their language that they can relate to as far as the problem that they have right now yep. and how I can help them solve that problem. Yeah, right? um, I, I think you're you're. You're right on the on the pains uh, when you talk. And so now the trick is understanding them and describing what you do. You said bleeding money. There's a million solutions that help fix bleeding money. That doesn't give me any real idea of what you do. Um, okay. it, it could be helping you with your tele, you know, your telephone costs, 
right? I could help you reduce your phone bill. That right. helps you, right? Or I could help you with sales performance. I could help you with overhead. I could get you a better accountant. I could save you on taxes. All of right. those help you with bleeding your money. So um, you have to say, I help you stop bleeding money by exactly right yeah. okay. so okay um i i told i'm totally with you on bleeding money but now you have to guide somebody from the big picture bleeding money to a smaller picture that is you right and um then you start having a great conversation but right. you're absolutely you're 100 right in talking about a customer outcome yeah yeah okay okay so talk to us a little bit about your book yeah, my book is kind of, it's kind of my manifesto. Um, I had this, you know, I, I tell people I have had like three small careers in the course of my life and um, a, a recruiter reading my resume would barf uh-huh. uh, because I've had a couple, I've had a bunch of different jobs. However, I couldn't have had any one of those jobs without the one before. I could never have skipped two jobs or one or job. Uh, every one, I learned something that got me the next very different job in a very different industry. Um, and the first job I had, the first big boy job I had out of college was at a company that was maniacal, was relentless about understanding the customer's business, understanding how we could change the customer's business using our stuff and what's the value. Uh, There was a question we asked over and over. Everybody in the company asked everybody else in the company, what's our value? When we were talking about a customer, what's the value? And that in that culture, in that company, that was what is the customer's business? What do they do? How do they make money? How are we going to help them make more money or lose, you know, reduce their costs? using our stuff and why do they want, how does our stuff help them better than anybody else's stuff in the world? And how many dollars is that difference worth to the customer? That's a big, big, you know, that's a big story, but this value culture was so strong in this company that we could ask what's the value. And everybody knew that that's the, that was the narrative you had when you were asked, what's the value? That's the narrative you had to supply. Um, and my first week, I was, I was a product manager and I was trying to learn the product manager job and they flew, flew me next, you know, to across the country to uh, another plant where there's, and I was sitting in the desk of a product manager. So I'm a, I'm a puppy in this company and I'm sitting across at the desk next to this guy and the phone rings and it's a salesperson in the field. And uh, he tells this product manager, I think I found a customer who needs your product. There were 70 of us product managers. And so that was a common call. Hey, uh, here's the situation. I think your product is the best fit. Can, you, can we talk it through? Um, and so I, I think we found an application for your product. And the product manager's first question was, what's our value? And the answer was, oh, I don't know yet. And here's, but can I talk about it? And the product manager said, no, call me back when you know the value. And he slammed the phone down. Wow. That's how strong that culture was. If you don't know the value, I don't, I shouldn't be spending my time with you until you've done your job and understand the customer's business and, and you know, that whole narrative. So that's kind of my mindset. I took that mindset into job after job, industry after industry, career after career, from product management 
product marketing, sales, sales leadership, sales training. And that mindset kind of percolated through every one of those. And I was very successful in all of my jobs because I had that mindset. So my book is mm-hmm. about, about implementing that same relentless focus on the customer's business into your business. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, no, definitely. Okay. So, <laughs> so when you talk about value, okay, to my audience members, okay, they're wanting to know, okay, what do you mean by value? Is it your unique selling proposition? Is it, you know, what do you call value? Oh, thank you. Great question. Um, if you ask 20 people what the definition of value is, you'll get at least 21 different answers. And that's a problem because now when I ask you what's the value, you're thinking one definition and I'm asking about another. So let's start with a definition of value. And remember that that what underpins this definition is customers do not buy your product or service. They buy their own outcomes for their own reasons. So value is the desirability of the outcomes a customer achieves when they do business with you. Okay, so it's the solutions that you, no, it's not even the solutions. No. Exactly. Yeah, right? it's not even right? the solutions. It's the benefits that it's, they get. It's beyond the benefits, benefits right? Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me illustrate the difference between features, benefits, and outcomes. Uh, okay. There's a famous, uh, a famous Harvard business professor, marketing professor, who said, customers don't buy a quarter inch drill, they buy a quarter inch hole, right? The quarter inch drill, that's all features, right? A quarter inch, three eighths inch reversible drill with the Jacobs chuck and battery power, right? All features. The benefit is a hole, but the outcome is I taught my son woodworking with this drill And he made a toy for my grandson that we got to sit and watch him play with. The outcome is in COVID, while we were locked down, I printed large format. You you can order print photographs printed on canvas in huge format. And I ordered a bunch of those from our favorite vacations so that as we were locked in in COVID, we had those pictures hung up around the house of our favorite vacations that we had taken together. And so, right, those are outcomes, right? Um, uh, That relationship, those are the outcomes. If you understand, you can hang up these pictures and what does that do for your relationship? Now you're getting into the customer's outcomes, the emotional experience uh, that is there. So benefits are the whole, and that's, that's, all right, you're on the right track. But now yeah. What, happens, yeah, what happens when you get the whole, the out, what outcome happens when you get that whole? That's the outcome. The different, it's, it's, it's not different way of thinking, but it's a more exact way yes. of thinking of the sales process. Yeah. So remember that value now, the way I described it, the way I defined it, your value only exists in your customer's mind. So your business is conducted between the ears of your customer. Uh, I tell sales, right? When I'm doing sales training to big sales forces, uh, I tell them you only earn commission 
on what happened between your customers' ears. Mm -hmm. You only earn commission, not on what you said, but on what your customer heard. Wow. And what they decided, what they decided based on what they heard. So that means, again, being empathetic and deciding you're going to live your life and your career and make your business about what's happening in the other guy's side of the table. Mm -hmm. What did they get? How can you help them get more? And think about sales going from that dirty, I don't want to be a smarmy sales guy to that. I am a counselor for my customers. I learn about their business and I help them grow their business using my stuff. Wouldn't you like to be that kind of salesperson? Can you wake up in the morning and thinking, I can do that today, Um, right? right? That's for a micro business, that's a lot easier to think of. And good news, that's the right way to do it. That was always the right way to do it. And I've talked to thousands of sales people, tens of thousands of salespeople at thousands of companies. And I've talked to the high performers, the medium performers, and the low performers. The high performers, that's what they do. I mean, with me, it's always been, I've never done um, selling. I've never considered it like you. I've never considered it selling. You know, my first purpose is to get to know the person, create that relationship first, because by doing that, I have found that I uncover unknowing to them where some of those issues might be. Yeah, Dana, great, great thing. Uh, that relationship thing. Uh, I, I think I'm a grumpy old man. Now get off my lawn, right? When I hear the word relationship, because especially in COVID, that relationship might mean a bunch of things. One of them is personal affinity, right? I know their kids' names and I know their hobbies and uh, and birthdays and, and all that stuff. Um this is the grumpy old man coming out. That stuff barely matters. I have seen cold fish who know none of that, care none about that, and are still top performers. So if that's your personal style, and more importantly, if that's your customer's personal style, you have to do that, but it's only the price of admission. Right. Relationship also means credibility. They think I know what I'm talking about. They think I'm going to do what I say. They think... I understand them. There are, there's research that says only 15% of high-end business-to-business salespeople know, understand their customer's business. 85% of B2B customers with sophisticated B2B salespeople calling on them think this person understands my business and my life. So it's a nobody's doing it. And only right. 3% of salespeople are considered trusted advisors. And this is, this isn't micro business. This is people who hire, this is companies, big companies who hire professional salespeople and give them wads and wads of training. Only 3% of the time are those people trusted experts and 15% of the time, do they even understand their customer's business? So a lot of people are doing it wrong. That's, you know, it's job security. It's job security for me, but, um, as a micro business, that's what you're competing with when you go up against a big company. So A, don't be afraid of them. And B, this is what the best salespeople in the world who are highly trained experts do. The, the mm-hmm. high performers, that's what they do. They just care. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. As a strategist, 
there's another element that I have that or, or that comes with being a strategist when you're working with a company. And that is I'm involved in the deep um, uh, levels of the company in order to strategically be able to work with them, you know, to grow their business. OK, there are things that they have to trust that I'm going to keep to myself. You know, those absolutely. So that relationship, right? That word relationship, again, it means a bunch of things. And I have the saying that that word means so many things to so many people that it doesn't mean anything. Right, right. And so relationship is one of those words. And so I am, I am not opposed to that personal affinity liking stuff, but I'm, I am not I'm not convinced that it makes much difference or that unless a customer really insists on it. And in COVID times, uh, those customers are becoming fewer and far, far further between. Right. Um, right. But relationship also means credibility, trust, faith, uh, empathy for one another. That, that, that credibility gets you to the point where you start co-creating a solution. So instead of you and the customer being on opposite sides, having a, this adversarial conversation, you come around on their side of the table and say, let's solve this problem together. Let's both look at the puzzle right side up from, uh-huh. your, from, from your perspective, and let's figure out this puzzle right side up for you. And, and I'm not going to translate for you any. I, I mean, I'm translating what I say into your language. Right, right. So- um, this is just a question I'm throwing out there. You know, we hear this word thrown around a lot when it comes to sales, rainmaker. What is your thoughts on the term rainmaker? Rain, rainmaker um, is somebody who sells a lot. And that can either be done in a very manipulative short term um long, uh, short-term fashion that ultimately fails long-term, or you can be uh, that genuine person who brings in the right clients who are going to love your stuff and last a long time. So a rainmaker can be either one of those. And so I, again, that's, that's a term that I approach with caution. Yeah. Um, It's great to have lots of sales, and if you are in a short-term need for cash, sometimes we take the wrong kind of customers. But I think we've all had those customers that we're sorry we won. Yeah. No, those, I agree. It's some right? of those that have to fire. Yeah. <laughs> and so a, a rainmaker, the, the traditional term rainmaker often includes somebody who doesn't care. I get my commission for the bad customers or the good customers. I'm just looking for my commission. And so Rainmaker, um, I, I, I approach that word with caution. Let's just leave it that way. It's not, it's not bad. It's not good. Um, There's some of each in that word. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. You know, the term is loosely used out there in the market. To me, a rainmaker is not only those that bring the sale in, but those that have the connections that can help grow the company. Yeah, and I was just gonna say that. Oftentimes the rainmaker is somebody who has connections and who's great at the 
business development, the, the relationship right. development. Um, in my world uh, of business to business selling, you often sell to an entire decision committee rather than to right. a, a person. And so you have to know everybody on the committee. And so many times salespeople want to just go to the person who owns the budget, not right. all the people who are telling that person what to buy and what to avoid. Right. I mean, successful people right. talk to them all so that they know what everybody's saying to that budget owner. Um, so the, a rainmaker, a great business development person understands all of those persons, all of those people. And in addition, if you've got some differentiated feature or benefit that turns into an outcome for somebody outside of that committee, oh, yeah. right? You want to bring a new person into the committee, make that committee bigger uh, and pack the court in your favor by adding somebody who desperately wants you to win. Right, right. Yeah, I come from the architectural engineering and construction side of the business. And um, uh, a lot of times we were we would have um, uh, pitch meetings and the the pitch team, meaning the judges would sometimes be, you know, four to five different people sitting at that table. And we would have to get to know each of those individuals prior to the RFP coming out, yep. the request for proposal. Prior to that coming out, we have to get to know them and create a relationship with them. There's that term relationship, yeah. but understanding what are their hot points so that we're addressing them when we're pitching to them to win the project. Exactly. You know, and so there's a lot that goes into the sales aspect more than the actual sale or the contract that yeah. goes into it, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Boy, Dan yeah, Dana, that brings up a, another whole thing with me. Yeah. Um, yeah. We often call, uh, and I, I work in a, with clients whose business involves repeat sales to the same customer. Right. So if, if you're in a business that you make a sale and then you never have a relationship again, this advice doesn't make much sense to you. But, you know, bear with me. Um, I dislike the phrase after the sale. Oh yeah. Because in, <laughs> in my business, that's between sales. Yeah. All yep, of the people exactly that you, all the people that you call after the sales support are really the on-ramp to a process of getting, getting it installed, getting it embedded, getting people trained, getting people successful, um, making them love that product and then right. want to figure out what else they can do with it. And that's exactly and how it. much yeah. more of it they need. Right. Yeah. So every single one of the people, the project managers, installers, customer support, tech support, uh, accounts payable, marketing, all of those people do something that is involved in a sales process, yeah. in delivering value, in delivering an outcome. You're the one who actually makes that outcome. Um, think about this. It, this is a movie split screen. Mm -hmm. On one side, it's on the sales floor. And, th and this is happens during the moment where you got news that the, that the executive signed your contract, right? On one side, it's the sales floor and people are high-fiving and maybe there's a bell ringing and there's attaboys and woots and hollers. And on the other side, the person who's in charge of making this thing work has suddenly got into the cold sweats because now for the first moment, they are fully accountable. Yeah. 
imagine that split screen. And as a seller, how crude, how crass is it that you celebrated right when your customer, your partner, your beloved customer has started feeling the cold sweats yeah. and your salespeople said, oh, you know, here's so-and-so they'll, they'll take care of you from here on out. Never call me again. Bye. Yeah. Right. How yeah. much worse did you make that contrast in that split screen? So don't do that. Don't be that yeah. provider. That's what your big competitors do. Right. Right. That's exactly it. And that's, that's what I teach my clients is the sale doesn't stop at the contract, you know? Um, it doesn't stop because what you're doing is you want to build that that experience for that customer because they're going to ultimately become your raving fan at the back end and your sales team Absolutely. at the back end. You know, so do you um, promote a sales process or methodology? Um, great question. And this kind of goes back to your, the beginning of your introduction. What I found with tens of thousands of salespeople, and when I was with this big sales training company, there was 200 of me around the world. And we all found out that salespeople the world over in every industry are bad at understanding customer outcomes. And that's the most important part of, sell, of sales is understanding that what the customer is trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. So that, that's why I said, and that's why you said salespeople are worse at the most important part of selling. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I was selling one of the big sales training and sales process and sales methodologies in the world. And it wasn't just the problem of this company, Miller Hyman. It was all of our competitors, salespeople had the same problem. They just, you know, in the sales training, they used a different word for the exact same customer outcome. Um, and so I decided I'm rather than having a methodology that's a mile wide and an inch deep, yeah. I'm going to be a mile deep on customer outcomes and customer value. I'm going yeah. to be an inch wide and a mile deep on that because that's what moves 95% of the customer decision. So I can go to a Miller Hyman customer and say, you know, that, that word, the wins and results, your salespeople stink at it. And I'm going to make your salespeople really good. And that's all it needs to get a great sale. So let's use your sales process, your sales methodology. I can go to a challenger customer, say the same thing. It'll be a different word, not wins and results, right. but it's the challenger mm -hmm. word or uh, value selling associates or your homegrown sales training or whatever, right? Let's just get your salespeople really good at this one little part of selling and everything else will actually fall into your place. So I'm agnostic in terms of process and methodology because I know your salespeople are just worse at this part of it. And if we make your salespeople great at that, everything else works just fine. Right. It's, so let's after talk that, every, yeah, every, after that, yeah. everything's just details. So let's talk about the micro business owner, uh, my audience here. When it comes to sales early on and you don't have a sales team, the importance of the owner as the sales contact and how they need to, or, or not need, but how should they approach the sales process from their passion? You know, um, you've got an advantage and you've got a disadvantage. The owner's disadvantage is that you're passionate about what you do and you're passionate about your technology or your, your process or your stuff. And you're so passionate that you want to tell people 
how great your stuff is. Right. And nobody cares. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Right. And what you need to do as the owner, the first thing as a small business owner, um, the, the sole salesperson is stop. Get in the mindset to succeed. You have to stop being proud of your stuff and start being proud of how well you listen to your customer's stuff. Right. right. And understand their life, their world, their vision. And you know what? You can, when you really understand the customer, it's pretty darn easy to turn your stuff into something that fits their world perfectly. Right. That's not the hard part. The hard part isn't fitting your stuff into their world. That's easy. The hard part is understanding their world so well so that you can do the easy part. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's absolutely right. You know, and that's what we've been trying to say through this whole program is the fact it's not your stuff that sells. It's your understanding of the customer. Yep. And their Um, needs that sells. Yeah, on on uh, Jeffrey Hazlett's podcast, uh, he, he, I said, you know, I just flippantly said, "Best listener wins." Yeah, he, wrote, he wrote that down, right? Sounds like Jeff, uh, right? <laughs> uh, so I, I I said that to Jeff, and he said, "I love that. I'm going to write that down. That's the quote of yeah. the day." Yeah, the best, the best listener wins, right? When you listen, truly listen, that means you're trying to, you're seeking understanding of the customer's life, their world, their situation, their hopes, their fears, their aspirations, their jealousies, uh, their problems, the the problems they have at home. You understand those better. And now you can turn your stuff into their solution. Right. Um, can I just tell the story that yes, talks about no. it, right? So I was selling money. I was a commercial mortgage lender for GE Capital, big commercial lender. And a a owner of a company came to us. And like a lot of small business owners, the real estate was held in one entity, one uh, LLC, and the company was held in the other. So the company leased some property from the property owner. And so Uh, He had taken investors into his company, but he owned the real estate himself and hadn't written his children into that entity, into that trust. And so he was buying this piece of property for $8 million and um, hadn't written his children in yet. And the the normal procedure is to, if you're going to change the borrowing entity, we're going to charge you 1% of the loan amount to change the borrowing entity because it's a new loan. Um, so to write his children into the trust on an $8 million loan is $80,000 just for estate planning, uh, planting, planning on one of his 16 properties. Um, so this was no joke. And so I found out that what his relationships with his kids and why he hadn't written them in yet. You know, he was a rich man. These are rich man's kids. You know, one raced cars on the amateur circuit and one was a... Um, home, you know, a a home decorator, uh, interior designer who took like one or two clients a year. So they weren't criminals, but they weren't productive either. And he hadn't written them in, right? He was afraid of rich man's kid syndrome. And um, so what I did by listening to him and under and listening to this whole story, and I'm talking about commercial real estate and construction and construction schedules and certificates of occupancy and attornment and all kinds of technical legal crap with him and his CFOs. 
And I learned about his relationship with his kids. Um, and it turned out that I could waive that $80,000 fee down to the $1,500 in legal filing costs and background checks for the new kids, you know, under um, Homeland Security laws. Every time you do that, you have to do a pretty detailed background check to make sure it's not a money laundering thing. And so I waived that $80,000 fee down to $1,500 and boom, the whole conversation changed instantly. Because as a commercial real estate lender, talking to his CFOs, two different CFOs, one for his trust and one for his company, two different companies, two different real estate companies, right? It was complex legal conversations. And I just sat down and one day during you know, a break in these really kind of heated at times conversations, we, I talked with somebody about his kids and his relationship with his kids. And I said, well, what about if we do this? And the whole conversation changed instantaneously. Best listener wins. And you never know what kind of detail a customer is going to give you that turns into the thing, the thing that made the relationship, turned that into a great business relationship. And it continued because you turned around and showed him a better way of doing things. Better way of doing things that was just... Uh, sensitive to his personal life yeah, situation. Exactly. exactly. So let me ask you this, okay? One of the things when we talk about the customer experience and the customer journey, okay? One of the things that I am constantly talking to my clients about when they're working with their customers is to try and anticipate what the next move might be, what the next need might be, you know? And just watching the trends of that of what's happening either in the market or with the customer. What do you say as far as your approach in the sales side of things to kind of keep an eye out on this? Yeah. So uh, remember, I talked about all the different people at your company who help um, make that follow-on sale. As they are doing their jobs, making that customer happy, they should also be having that same conversation I had about that, you know, the customer's adult kids who were not criminals, right? Mm -hmm. They should learn every single one of your people should be having those personal conversations. And even more importantly, far more importantly, business conversations about what's going on. Because, you know, the person who installs your equipment on a factory floor gets to talk to people, gets to learn about trends that nobody else in your company has a prayer of understanding. So your company should have a whole series of sensory organs, every single one who touches the customer, and everybody should be attuned to what's going on at your customer and be encouraged and rewarded for sharing those insights that they get. When you you become a company-wide sensory organ rather than the owner only or the salespeople only, um, you have access to parts of the company nobody else has. None of your competitors take advantage of. I can promise you. Oh, Um, yes. Right? A big company. Yeah. 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 Nowadays, we have to. A big company competitor tells all... I have big company clients that have 15 different roles that touch the customer, two of which have a sales title and 12 or 14 of which um, are, you know, customer service installation, project management, blah, 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 blah. And every single one of those 12 to 14, the company tells them 
just do your job, stay in your lane, don't have a business conversation, get it done as quickly as possible and come back to the office. You as a micro business owner are competing with companies like that. You're competing with companies that have forced themselves, have structured themselves into a series of blindfolds. You have, that, you have the option to be better than a big company. You have the option of being more responsive, more, more responsive, empathetic, Response. understanding. Quick, quicker turnaround. Quick quicker turn. So yeah. take advantage of that. and Take yeah. advantage of your advantage by just deciding you're going to care about your customer all the way through their journey. Okay. Okay. Well, we're coming up on the end of another episode here on Charged Up Studio. Can you tell our listeners where they can find your book? Uh, I am. Um, Jeff Bezos is selling my book. Um, easiest place to get it is on Amazon. Uh, look up Radical Value Mark Bounty and you'll find me. Um, it's uh, black and white with a little bit of red and a tiny bit of blue on the cover. And it just r- radical value. Uh, you can get a hold of me if you want at mark at boundyconsulting.com, B-O-U-N-D-Y consulting.com. Very good. Very good. Well, I really appreciate you joining us today, Mark. So that concludes our podcast for today. So please leave a review on any of the streaming platforms you're listening to or go to our Charged Up Studio Facebook page and leave a review there. Charged Up Studio is a product of Marketatomy Academy, the e-learning system specifically designed with the micro business owner in mind. For more information and to register to for our many courses, go to marketatomy.academy. Thank you, Mark, once again. And everyone out in the audience, go out and have another charged up week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Bye-bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.